Welcome back, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's back, almost Doug. like you never left. I know. It's almost like we were right here the whole time. It's crazy. A lot of fun, though. These are so fun. So, I always talk about this because sometimes, like, you will go above and beyond, you know, what you need to do for a patient because you're afraid of things. Mm-hmm. And so, I always like to bring up what was what is your greatest fear as a paramedic? You You're asking one? me right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Do you have one? I I haven't really had like a devastating call where I tragically messed up and like actively participated in hurting a patient, but I am terrified for that day because I know it could happen because I'm a human being. So I think I'm scared of it. You mean like specific skill wise? Like, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you mine. Okay. And so my biggest thing is I don't want to pronounce a patient and then have somebody come pick them oh up gosh. and then being alive. The Lazarus phenomenon? I'm not even talking about that. I'm like, there's... Just there's, like in there's general? Like totally. Being- like, because when I first started as a medic, like, there was a bunch of cases where somebody had pronounced somebody dead. Mm-hmm. And when they, either the coroner or the funeral home came to get them, the patient was alive. Oh, my God. Right? So... If you have a head and you're like intact, like I'll put you on the monitor. If the stickers were will if, stick. <laughs> if I can get like I'll like I don't care if you're rigor and I can't move you because you're in a kneeling position or you're upside down, whatever it is, like I will still put stickers on you because there is nothing that says this person was dead when I was here than that line of assistance. That is objective, that straight, objective exactly. proof that that person was dead when you said that they were dead. It doesn't matter. You can't argue that I couldn't hear the, the heart sounds or I couldn't hear the breath sounds. This is a That's straight line. Exactly. It's subjective. You know what's object- not subjective is a straight line. Mm-hmm. So that 30 seconds of a systole in two separate walls of the heart is huge. I think I mentioned that in the How to Run a Code lecture yeah. that I did way back when. So also... Reasons why, unless there's a DNR present, I don't pronounce PEA in the field, personally. Yes. And I know it's in the protocol. People do it all the time, and it's totally acceptable. I don't do it. Someone the other day, was it you or Paul, had, like, some GSW to the head where there was, like, brain matter on the wall, but they were in PEA. But there was brain matter on the wall. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't me. I forget who it was. I don't know. But yeah, but, but yeah, it, they're not in asystole. They're not in asystole. So again, you know, and that's kind of gets into a different, you know, it's a different gamut. Mm-hmm. But I just, I never want to be in that position where they're like, you sure this person was dead and have to fight for my cause, right? Mm-hmm. So the easiest way to do it, and it's so easy, it's so cheap. It costs nobody nothing. Yeah. It's four stickers and exactly. a minute of time. So that's how I kind of deal with that aspect of things. But that was that's one of my greatest fears. Mm-hmm. And even like, you know, in the last uh, podcast we talked about, I talked about how um, I pronounced that dude. It was a lithicist. And he went through, like, he was like the mega code that you talk about. Was he about. in Sicily when you pronounced it? He, uh, at one point, he was in Sicily. <laughs> at another point, he was in PEA. At another point, he was in a VFib. Like, uh-huh. He was like the mega code you get for national registry. <laughs> but you couldn't do anything. You couldn't do anything. You just watched it happen, and then he would go to a systole, and then you'd kind of have like this algorithm. And, oh. But so any anytime I do a PA, anytime I call somebody in PA, even if there's a DNR, I just call a doctor and I'm like, "Hey, here's the story. Mm-hmm. Just want to make sure you agree with it." 
best way to not yeah. get in trouble is to put it on the doctor. Yeah, I know. And I mean, for the most part. Yeah. How much of it's going to hold up in court? No, I don't really know, but at least you do something and yeah. try to protect yourself a little bit. Like, you know, you did consult somebody like you didn't just say, oh, yeah, I'm totally good with it. Like, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I know they're starting to have like ultrasound come out into the field and they're doing some different studies with Ooh. that stuff for cardiac Focus. standstill. Ooh. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's a different, now you're talking about a little bit of a different, like I'd be more okay with, you know, having a cardiac standstill on an ultrasound, yeah. you know, plus that's recorded too. So you yeah. can say heart wasn't moving then. So just having that tool to make sure that like, not only that you're protected, but you're making sure, you know, you're doing what's best for the patient yeah. when you either terminate or, or pronounce. Yeah. So that was, that was one of my, well, I would still say one of my biggest fears when I was a brand new medic though. I feel like when I was brand new, I was scared of almost everything. Okay. Like you want to just... elaborate on that? Like, <laughs> everything is a very broad topic. Maybe not everything, everything, but I had very, very little confidence when I was a baby paramedic and I'm better now. I still have times where I'm very unconfident in myself, but I, and not to blame the zero to hero aspect of my upbringing in EMS, but I did do the zero to hero. So I didn't have as much BLS experience as other people. So I feel like that contributed to me just not knowing as much, having the experience and like the, the, I can't, I can't keep using the word experience, but like experiences to back up like my gut feelings and what I learned in class and stuff like that. So, but like over the years I've obviously gained experience and I, have a pretty good gut feeling and I'm more able to trust my gut now, but I just had a very hard time trusting myself and that my assessment and what I thought and my treatment plans and everything. So educated common sense. Yeah. You've always had common sense, which is thanks, which <laughs> works out well for anybody. A lot of times people either try to overthink things or are too afraid to make a decision, mm -hmm. which never works out well for the provider I, or the patient. I never had that problem. I yeah. was always able to make a decision. I can at least say that. But So my one of my biggest things when I came out is respiratory patients. Like I was yeah. always so afraid that I was going to flash a patient. So like... Fast forward, it's not a thing. <laughs> so I had a couple patients though that, you know, like borderline, like you give, you know, a treatment to and maybe they say they're getting better, but they sound like they're getting worse. Yeah. And you're trying to figure out and like, am I going to make the right decision or not? Am I going to flash this patient? You know, every patient I get fluids to, you know, I do lung sounds, you know, look for any peripheral edema, like that kind of stuff, um, which kind of led to, I guess, a further patient assessment, which is good. But at the same time, kind of delayed me a little bit and, you know, made me a little less confident. And this is before like CPAP was a thing for asthmatics or COPD or mm -hmm. so you weren't, it wasn't like a catch all. You had to pick. You had to yeah. pick. Like, are you going like CPAP Nitro or are you going, you going NEB? Mm -hmm. Like that was your option. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, I think the best way, I, I would say the way I over, overcame that is patient assessment is definitely like the biggest thing. And then like, you know what, what's your, what's your favorite assessment tool? Like out of a vital mm -hmm. sign, like what do you like to use as a way to just like, if you could pick one vital sign, a radial pulse. Okay. Like actually putting your hand on and feeling a radial pulse. Okay. Why? You can get a sense of 
the rate, the right, maybe not like a number, but like fast or slow, you're feeling their skin. If it's bounding or if it's weak or if it's absent or if, and I know they like a, the presence or absence of a radial pulse doesn't necessarily correlate to like a systolic of 90, like we were always taught, but if you're perfusing your hand, you're probably perfusing your brain, I would imagine. So like you can kind of get a sense of, if a not, there's really nothing things. anybody can do about it. Right? <laughs> so that was something that I was taught in when I was precepting is yeah. just whenever you go up to a patient, just put your hand on their Absolutely. I teach all the time too. To I'm actually super them. bad at it though. That's okay. Self-admittedly, <laughs> I'm not awesome at that. You kind of touched on it though. Like my favorite is skin color and condition. Mm. Because one, people don't fake diaphoresis. Yeah. If you're diaphoretic, you are sick until proven otherwise. You're, if your patient's if you're sweating, pale, you should be sweating. Yeah, if you're pale, like something's, you know, unless you're normally pale, which, you know, uh, I'm <laughs> very Irish, so it could be like, listen, own. yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Like, it's okay, I'm, what sunscreen do you use? Um, <laughs> but other things like looking at it, like if you're gray, like, if you're blue. If you're blue. Like, there's all these things where I can look at your skin, color and condition, and be like, okay, something's wrong here. Patient's got a fever. That puts me into a whole different, you know, going back to that mm -hmm. COPD versus CHF thing. Like, if a patient's febrile, like, I'm not going to CHF first. Could it still be an issue? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but it's going to kind of, it, I'm going to rule some other things out before I go back to that. Like, you can definitely circle back to it, but it's just... You know, going to be lower on the list. Lower on the list, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I love skin color and condition, which you kind of touched mm -hmm. on when you do your pulse thing too. Mm -hmm. But I like it. I'm trying to think of like a very. Yeah, I feel like you had a very specific fear, and I don't have a specific one. I just I more guess, just have general fear. So, like when I think of fear, it's like, what don't you want your name associated with in the paper? <laughs> Like, and, and I, I clearly person dead. I wasn't. clearly remember it on the front page of the New Haven Register being like patient pronounced dead in bathtub of house and was still alive. Wasn't no, it was not. Well, wasn't dead. Yeah, wasn't doing great, but wasn't dead. Probably needed a paramedic. <laughs> so I mean, definitely like things where you like you saw it and stuff like that, and you you're like. I never want my name associated with that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So taking, like you said, four stickers, cheap, easy, quick, 30 seconds of asystole, attach it to the chart, and mm -hmm. you are golden. Mm -hmm. Who's going to come after you? It's kind of like, you know, intubation, and we talk about, like, end title. Yeah. Like, I press print all the time. Like, if I intubate somebody, every time we move a patient, I press print to cap capture that capnography, mm -hmm. check lung sounds, press print. Mm -hmm. Like, you have, like... Yeah, they can argue, are you sure you were hearing lung sounds and you weren't hearing epigastric sounds? Like we talked about, subjective. You mm -hmm. know it's not subjective? That end title. The waveform. That waveform. Yeah. Like, you can't argue it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, I guess you could, but like. <laughs> Probably not very well. <laughs> not, not well. So like, I like to have, I like to have that supporting documentation that, mm -hmm. that supports my decision making and what I wrote in my report. Mm -hmm. So everything that I wrote, you know, is backed up by, you know, data in an actual mm -hmm. you know objective mm -hmm. information mm -hmm. yeah. you also wanted to talk about like when you started feeling confident as a paramedic also. yeah I, I don't know about you but i get this question all the time from students 
Like how long, yeah. How long did it take you to start feeling confident as a medic? Mm -hmm. What, I mean, what do you think? I've been a medic for, I got med control in 2019, the beginning of 2019. So almost five years. I feel like after the first two kind of, is when I really started. I feel like when I started working in Madison, like with longer transport times and I don't want to say less low ball calls, but like more higher acuity calls with the longer yeah. transport time where I had to get deeper into the algorithms yeah. and stuff like that. And I was more on my own than with like the help of a lot of fire department or like firefighters and things like that. But I feel like there's something to be said for the Dunner-Kruger effect. What is that what it's called? Dunner-Kruger. I have to look it up now. It's like the... Yes, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, we were talking about it the other day. It's like the... As you begin to progress in a field, like you gain... Like you have all this confidence, but not a lot of knowledge. And then you get humbled. And then... Yeah, absolutely. Like the more you learn, like you get humbled and eventually like over time you slowly gain confidence with knowledge but in the beginning there's like a sharp drop where like you think you know everything but then you get humbled and then eventually you slowly just yeah increase i think it happens and everyone's going to make mistakes you know you're always you're never going to be 100 percent perfect in no. hospitals the doctors aren't 100 percent perfect like. dunning kruger effect that's what it's called is a cognitive bias in which people with limited competence in a particular domain overestimate their abilities. So like in the beginning, you don't have a lot of knowledge, but you have a lot of confidence. Yeah. And then something happens where you realize that, oh, I don't know anything. But then over time, as you gain more knowledge, you slowly, slowly increase in confidence. Yeah. So, so I, was I feel like I'm on the uptick of that part. <laughs> Hey, it definitely takes time, and I always hate like you know I always hate saying years like especially That's what when it we're looks like when we're talking to students. Like, Maybe we can attach a picture. That'd be cool or something. Can you attach a picture on Spotify? I am not the foggiest. Uh, we'll figure it out. But like I don't I don't like saying like how long I've been a paramedic to to students because I don't True. think I know a lot of paramedics have been doing this for a really long time and they they're not good. True. They let their they let their knowledge lapse years ago. They yeah. haven't done any real continuing education they mm -hmm. haven't challenged themselves first day they, on the job was their best day on the job yeah and they don't yeah. they don't care to kind of you know question they just i've been doing this for you know 20 years and this is Nothing how it works bad has happened yet exactly so it's it's you know and obviously science changes and things kind of come back full circle and mm -hmm. you know medication is the same thing but um i don't think your time makes you better there's I something to be said say. for experience but it's also it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Like, cause I think you're right. Like time and I think failure in time. You learn more from your failures than you Absolutely. do your successes. I, I do some of my best teaching cases on cases that I did wrong. Same. And I think you have to be, you have to be humble to come back and realize mm -hmm. that, wow, I didn't run that well. I didn't do that well. What can I do to, to learn from it? Because mm -hmm. if you're, if you don't take criticism, if you don't want to learn from what, you know, your mistakes are, then you really, you shouldn't be doing this mm -hmm. anymore because you're a second away from hurting somebody else. Yeah. 
But, and I feel like there's a lot of those personalities in EMS, especially paramedics, because you have to be like in charge and delegating and the leader. But I feel like some people take that too far and like can't admit when they're wrong or like can't really function as a team member, even though they're a leader, you're still part of a team and just can't admit that they don't, they don't know what they don't know almost. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it goes back to like that. I, I don't know. I would say three, like mine was like three to four years from when I felt comfortable. Mm. And I think being a leader is a whole different kind of story inside of that. Like when are you comfortable with the medicine versus when are you comfortable like being a leader mm -hmm. and like people looking to you as a leader too. And we talk about reputation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like a whole different topic. But um, like, but when the tones would go off, and you're like, I'm okay with going to anything. Like, I want to say mine was probably like three or four years. Yeah. Kids were a whole different story. The pediatrics. Ooh. I different. still get a little oof when I go there. So I did a pediatric CME a, a long time ago because my daughter's seven now. And it's before I had kids. And there were there was this picture of all these people doing these things like out in a field and like some people were working and there were people just climbing this tree and some people were up the tree and stuff mm -hmm. like that and they're like. Um, it was like all the people had a number and it was like, which number do you identify when it comes to your comfort level as doing <laughs> pediatrics? And there was one person on there who was like pushing somebody else up, like to get up the tree. And I'm like, I'm the guy pushing somebody else up. Like, I'll help you. Let me know what you need. I'm but not doing I'm, it. I'm not the one. Though. I'm not the one. Right. Cause my comfort level was just not there with kids until I had kids. Mm -hmm. And now I'll be honest. I love pediatric calls. One, because they're usually relatively simple. I love calming kids down. I love talking to kids. I love, mm -hmm. I love talking to parents, um, you know, and because, and, you know, essentially you have multiple patients because the yeah. parent is usually a patient too. And just kind of using that common, calming demeanor and, and kind of making the situation better. And then, you know, even kid issues for the most part, although they can be a little higher tense, are usually fairly easy to fix mm -hmm. in terms of like respiratory and, and dealing with that aspect of things. Mm -hmm. But that was a different, I would say that was a different yeah. timeline. I feel like in the beginning, and people would tell me in the beginning when I was a baby medic that you have to be really specific about your EMT partners because you need to be able to focus on learning how to become a paramedic and not focusing on doing your EMT's job in addition to trying to figure out yours. And I feel like in the beginning, like I worked with powers a lot yep. and I knew that even if I messed up, or if I was unsure of myself, he was sure of himself and like he could do the BLS, the BLS things. And yeah. I knew that even if I failed, he wouldn't. Yeah. But I feel like eventually you get to a point where you don't need that kind of partner anymore. And you know that even if your EMT partner is not the best or is unsure or can't really fulfill their role as well as they should that I know I'm confident enough in my abilities and to be able to run a call from start to finish that everything will be okay. I agree with you hundred percent. And I actually had my first pediatric cardiac arrest with Mike. Oh yeah. Terrible. Aww. But, um, having somebody that you can rely on is huge. My first cleared shift as paramedic, um, was actually with a kid that I went to medical school with that I was good friends with and still good friends with. Mm -hmm. Um, but having somebody there to kind of bounce ideas off of and like, what would you yeah. do? What would, you know, what should I do kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, cause you get your safety net is removed and you're yeah. put out into the world and 
it's the a, first it's time a scary... you're in the back alone with an ALS patient, yeah. you're like, it's kind of like the first time you're alone in the car driving. I literally exactly <laughs> what came to my mind. Like when you, there's no, you're like, there's there no way I should yeah. be allowed to do this, but I, I'm doing this right yeah. now. <laughs> it's like the only time you kind of a cool room. feeling too. Then. It, it is cool. Like you do have, I mean, it's, it's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of stress in the beginning, but it's also really cool. But I you, feel like the best way to combat that too is to just keep showing up. Yeah. Just keep doing it. You, I think you have to learn from your failures because I don't think you get comfortable until you fail and you learn yeah. from it. And then like, I always tell people like, I have no problem making a decision anymore because I will justify every single decision I make. And it's not because of laziness. It's not because of, you know. Incompetence. Incompetence. Yeah. Like if I don't do something or I do do something, it's for a reason. I have reasons to back it up. So mm -hmm. if I ever get a phone call from a doctor being like, why'd you do this? I did this for X, Y, and Z. And if I'm wrong, I've got no problem saying, what would you do differently? Like, or, you know, in learning from it. But mm -hmm. at the same time, like, I feel like I'm justified. If I'm not, like I'll learn, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's, it, you always have to keep learning. And that's, that's kind of a big, big part of it. Like I still stay in, like if I drop off a critical patient, I still hang out in the R rooms mm -hmm. or the, you know, the, the patient rooms while the doctors come and do their assessment and do their treatments. Mm -hmm. Cause I want to see what questions are they asking that maybe I didn't ask or yes. what, what road are they going down that maybe I didn't even think about. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's part of a thing too. Like I hate when like people drop off patients and then just walk away. Like, you don't like, I want to know what goes on yeah. with patients. Like I want to learn from it. Like I, Hey, I saw this patient and this was what happened to this. Like, that's how you get better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think getting comfortable is all about getting better and getting experience and whether it's good experience or bad experience, you're yeah. never going to, you're not always going to hit it out of the park. Like I still, I did a car accident like two years ago and this dude, he had a good hit. He had a femur fracture. We had to mm -hmm. cut him out of the car. I was in the back of the car with him trying to get a line on him. He was kind of pulling away. And I wasn't really that worried about it because he had younger dude, I had some good access. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, we extricated him, brought him in the back of the ambulance. He, you know, was a, a high priority patient, so we transported him. And I think I was only like, I was probably 12 minutes away from the trauma center. And I spent all 12 minutes like trying to get a line on this guy. And I'm like, just about a, like the back door to Yale, and I'm like, I should probably do trauma. <laughs> I should probably do something else, right? Like there should probably be some other priorities. I'm like literally like just tunnel vision focused on one thing of getting this guy some pain meds for his yeah. um, femur fracture. And I ended up just IMing some fentanyl into him and then continuing on. But by the time I got to that point, I was like two minutes out and I'm like, I think I, I put him. I, I put him on the monitor, like as we were backing into Yale. Like it was just like I'm like, wow, this was really bad. That happens. It does happen, but like again, self reflection. Like, oh, I knocked out of the park. Absolutely not. It was it was garbage. <laughs> like focused on something that wasn't important. Yeah, because he was hemodynamically stable. Like his pressure was good. He's kind of short oriented. Like we should just, give more IM. Like fentanyl. Yeah. It's like not a thing, but it should be. Yeah. I mean, you At least in I my brain, too, I yeah. really don't. Yeah, true. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's definitely other options too. For whatever reason, it wasn't my day or I don't know why this, <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't get a line this dude. Was, I, but I got focused on just getting a line and, yeah. and screwed up the rest of the call. 
We should do an episode with like a bunch of people and we just talk about like our failures, like our, our pick a failure and like oh yeah, what we learned from it and why we're not going to do it again. But I, like we said, I think your failures are your biggest, you know, it sucks mm-hmm. when it happens. But it's going to. It's going to happen. How do you how do you overcome that I'm, failure though? We're you, gonna make mistakes in the future. Yeah. Like I said, we, I hope we have the group text. Like, hey, but... look at this. Like, what do you think? What would you guys do? Yeah. Other than this, well, here's what I did. Wouldn't have done that. I gave this AAA patient aspirin by accident. Yeah. Uh, it happens. Yeah. Hit chest pain. I had this. It's just an antiplatelet. It's not too anticoagulant. <laughs> I had this old guy. Um, he was he was in his nineties, and he looked like we went there, and he was like pale and was just kind of altered his heart rate was in like his heart rate was in like the 40s and i ended up giving atropine and he kind of heart rate ended up going up and i transferred him i think this was like my first six months as a medic and i transferred him to an als group so i didn't you know and he ended up uh, boxing in the back of their their ambulance and this is when like atropine was like contraindicated for mis and stuff like that and so when we, after he boxed, we redid the the EKG and like it was showing like this massive ST elevation mm. um, MI. And I'm like, did I just kill this patient by giving him atropine? And I was so hyper fixed on like this one event and mm-hmm. like being like, did I, did I kill him? Like, mm-hmm. did I literally just push medication and ended his life? Like he came back, but he died like within a couple hours. So. It wasn't great, but I was, again, six months in, had, you know, was new to the world, getting at, this big bag of... At the end of the day, you followed your protocol. Yeah. You didn't deviate from your bradycardia protocol. No, but at the same time, I was just, I was in my own head. I, it was yeah. also in the same shift. I had, like, three or four cardiac arrests. Like, <laughs> I had, like, four people die on me, so I'm like, maybe it's a me issue. Like, maybe I need to stop blaming the, the patients and just saying it's just my fault. Like... <laughs> But it's scary, so you know. But it, now we can talk about it. And be like, you know, it happens. Yeah. Like we can. It's it's kind of cool to be in that role too, to be able to counsel people, like especially like yeah. students that just come out and they're like, hey, they send you twelve leads, yeah. they send you like questions, and like you can you can kind of talk them through it. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. So it's fun to kind of it's it's a weird period, like being right out of like paramedic school. Yes. And it's kind of scary, but once that's you get... That's when the learning really starts. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like people enter, like, that you get medical control and you're like, this is it. Yeah. I know everything. This is great. And you know nothing. Yeah. It's like we talked about. It's not black and white. There's so many no. differentials and so many different things that go on mm-hmm. and so many different aspects to look at. I heard... I, there was a quote I heard on one podcast one time, and it was like, I forget who said it. But they were like, you're going to learn at the expense of your patients. And like, as horrible as that sounds, sometimes you just are going to learn at the expense of your patients. Yeah. I mean, there's there's always going to be like, the, and the first time you have to do something, too, is always yeah. kind of... Especially if you're by yourself. Yeah. You haven't done it in a while. I mean, yeah. we have the kind of, you know, we're lucky in a sense where, you know, we teach people. So we do all the stuff that you don't do in paramedical yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. We, we teach it. So it's always fresh in our brain. 
but like you know if you're not teaching and you're not constantly in classes or you're not constantly in the book yeah. you do lose stuff like you know how often oh my are, god i have to crack this person i haven't done this since yeah. medic school six years ago i need like, to put a needle in this person's chest well, i need to pace them like what is pacing supposed to look like is this electric what do my i do if it doesn't work yeah, exactly so you know i think definitely learning staying up on it and then i always you know i always go through my stuff and like i always start off with when you check your gear i look for the oh shit stuff yeah tourniquets yep. um brazo tape yep. uh bvm bvm OPS. secondary airway Ooh. so i always make sure i have a good secondary airway because mm -hmm. if you're you know if your et fails or if you can't get the um endotracheal tube or you know you're just you're by yourself and you're looking for a quick airway that's yeah. always like a good like oh shit what do i do just drop mm -hmm. the eye gel um things like that but i start there and then i go through my gear yeah. always making sure that you know where everything is because in the instance of like things when that you don't do often, nervous system kicks in and all yeah. the blood goes away from your brain you're gonna be like oh my god the one time you need, if you go to a pediatric cardiac arrest for the first time, you don't want to be looking for a Brazo tape, or you don't want to be like guessing. I keep how a Brazo tape in my pocket, actually. <laughs> I, have, I have one in my bag, yeah, because it's going to be one of those things where you're like, when you need it, it's I not need something, something we do to tell me how much Epi to give exactly yeah. down to the ML. Exactly, I'm, you don't do want to be having to be doing like bed math in your head or Absolutely. like remembering like what's times what over what you're kind of thing. Do one times whatever. Yeah. But like touching that thing and kind of walking yourself through it, like with all your medications, I yeah. think, like, how are you going to draw it up? What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Helps overcome a lot of that fear. Mm -hmm. Anything else? That's really it. I don't, I don't know what else. I mean, you know, it takes, I think it takes, it just takes some time. It takes mm -hmm. failure and then it takes overcoming that failure. I think the best thing is being honest about your failure though yeah you know especially depending on how big it is too like don't try to sugarcoat it don't, don't try to no, be honest throw any smoke and mirrors just Absolutely. always be honest i did this yeah honesty is always have. the best policy <laughs> and you know it, it the cover-up will all like if you try cover to cover something up it's so it's gonna bone you worse than no. a mistake any any mistake ever could do you want somebody who's not honest treating people giving them a bag of medication though like I did, uh, I did a code once, and uh, this guy was, I think he was a PEA. I intubated him when we got into the ambulance, and I reassessed he was a VTAC. And uh, he still had a pulso, and I defibbed him. Oh. I didn't synchronize yeah. cardio over it, because I was in the cardiac arrest mentality, yep. and didn't, yep. like, didn't even cross my mind until we got to the hospital, and they're like, you know, he was in VTAC, you know, shocked once. He's like, shocked or synchronized cardio over it? And I'm like, oh, oh I, I shocked. Definitely shocked. But did it work? Yeah, no, it did work. <laughs> but again, never heard anything about it. But still, like, you know, be honest about it. Like, yeah. obviously, I made a mistake, but I didn't go back and document that I synchronized card right. inverted. You know, so it's tough to admit your mistakes, but it's always better. Yes. Be honest and upfront about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then learn. Mistakes are okay as long as you learn from them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's all I got, though, Dev. Anything else you think? I feel like I've said all of the things I wanted to say. I still don't have a very specific fear as a paramedic. Like you now you got to think about it. <laughs> I'm Wait gonna... until it shows up in the newspaper, and then you're like, oh, man, that scares me, too. That scares me. <laughs> 
people. I see dead people or not dead people. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to think. But maybe we can do a part two with some other people too. Yeah. I'm sure everybody, listen, everybody's got one. Oh, yeah. Everyone's got that one thing. Yeah. And then they're usually super good at that one thing. Yes. Because you make the only a way mistake. To, yeah, listen, the only way to get over that again. fear, learn from it. Or learn everything about it. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Cool. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. <laughs>